we come to chapel because we believe that, that God uh, wants to speak to us and that he has things to say to us um, through his word. Um, and he wants to meet us where we are and transform our hearts. Uh, this morning, I'd like to talk a little bit about the movement of the disposition of our hearts as followers of Jesus. Specifically, the movement that happens within our hearts when we encounter hardship. And when I'm talking about hardship, I'm speaking very specifically to the type of hardship that we can't quite understand and we can't quite figure out why is happening. So I know a number of you are high school seniors looking at college, um, and perhaps you have 4.9 GPA because you took AP everything, including AP student driver, and you learned to parallel park a bus, and you did it skillfully because that's the kind of person that you are, and you have applied to 20 colleges that you were sure were going to love you, and you've gotten into, I don't know, zero, one, 10, half, I don't know, but you're deeply concerned and you don't know quite why it's working out that way. Or perhaps it's the other way around. Uh, maybe you uh, have a 2.8 GPA and you like had an active panic attack during your ACT, got an 11, and somehow you've managed to get into Harvard, Brown, Princeton, and Pasadena Community College, and you are deeply confused as to how and why things are unfolding that way. Um, the natural disposition of our hearts, I think, uh, as humans is to want to know why things are happening. And I jest with those, but, but we will, as followers of Jesus and as, as humans living in a fallen world, encounter times where we run into things that are much harder to answer. Um, I have had two friends over the course of the last 30 years uh, who unexpectedly lost their wives, um, who were very healthy, um, active women. And both of them happened over the course uh, of one night. Um, one had an anaphylactic shock um, and, and passed away while he held her. Another died in a hospital parking lot as they were headed into the hospital. Their question of why was a question that they both went to immediately. But there is no why that's going to be answered. And instead, the movement of their hearts, the disposition of their hearts, the question of their hearts had to make a shift. And that's the shift we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to look at Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. It, if ever there was a why passage, it's this one. Why on earth would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his child, a child of promise, a fulfilled promise of God himself? So pray with me, and we'll jump in. Father, um, you delight in us. You love us and you like us. And you want to speak to us so that we can hear from you and so that our hearts might be encouraged. Will you please, right now, miraculously and powerfully and unexpectedly speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we do need a little context for Genesis 22. <clears throat> so Abraham was called by God to, to leave his home, um, to venture off, and he was given a promise. He was 75 years old, and he was given a promise that he would receive land and he would have children. 
and the children would bear descendants, and those descendants would cover the earth, and they would bless the earth. At 75, he receives that promise. Not long after, God reconfirms that promise. He makes a covenant oath with Abraham, and it's a really unique covenant. It's a covenant where God actually puts Abraham, Abraham into a deep sleep after he has cut a bunch of animals in half and placed them on the ground. And what would typically happen with a, a king and, and a follower, uh, a, a suzerain and his vassal, what would usually happen is that the person who cut the, the halves uh, apart, they would, they would make a treaty. And the less powerful person, so the farmer and not the king, would walk through that. And he's saying to the king, king, if I ever betray you, or if I'm ever not loyal to you, you can do to me what we have just done to these animals. The king never walks through. Well, in this case, the animals are cut and set apart. Abram's put into a deep sleep, and the Lord comes in his theophanic presence, and the Lord himself walks through, making a promise on himself that his promise is good and true to Abram. Changes his name to Abraham, and then nothing. For 24 years, Abraham is an old man beyond the age of childbearing, his wife is an old woman beyond the age of childbearing. And God comes and says, in a year you're going to have a son. And they do. Son named Isaac, son of laughter. The perfect name for a boy born at 100 years old. And Isaac becomes the delight of Abraham's heart. And then God asks him to do the seemingly unthinkable. He calls out and he says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So it starts off, in this very human kind of gritty detail. He wakes up early, saddles his donkey. He goes out and he cuts wood. These things that are, are setting a tone for us because this is a deeply human event and a very everyday real life thing that is happening that he's going to walk into. He cuts the wood. He rises, and they went out to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifts his eyes, and he sees the place from afar. So for three days, they travel. And I think something very interesting happened in Abraham's heart over the course of these three days. Abraham, sacrifice your son, the son of promise, the son I gave you, the son I told you, is going to be the one through whom the descendants will cover the earth and will bless the rest of the earth. He's the promised one through which all of my other promises are to take place. And if God said that to you, what would be your first question? Why? Why, Lord, would you ask me to do that? It doesn't make sense. So for three days, he walks and he wrestles and he struggles. And he comes to a conclusion. The movement of his heart shifts and it goes from why to who. 
book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham came to a, a conclusion, and he said, okay, I know that God is faithful, and I know that he's asked me to do this thing that I cannot for the life of me comprehend or understand. Therefore, the only possible solution to this, because I know he's faithful and I know he's promised this, is that if I kill my son Isaac, God's going to raise him from the dead because God is faithful. See what his heart did there? It moved from why, which he was never going to get an answer to, and it shifted into who. Who is the one in whom I trust? And is he actually trustworthy? Then Abraham said to his young men, he said, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And this is great. I, I remember watching a video years ago on this where there was a panel of people discussing it. And they were talking about this specific part where Abraham says to the servants, here, you stay. We're going to go over there and come back. And they were surmising. One of them was like, yeah, I, I think he was clearly just lying to them so that they wouldn't try to stop the sacrifice from happening. One is saying, well, uh, maybe Abraham believed that he would come back, but Isaac wasn't going to. But I don't think that's what's happening at all here. I think Abraham is saying with absolute 100% trust, I and the boy are going to go over there and worship. And even if I do strike him dead, God is going to raise him up and we're going to come back to you. And it's going to be glorious and it's going to be beautiful. And my son is going to be alive. And then Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now hear that. This, when, when Hebrew Scripture does this, so they went both of them together, so they went both of them together. The thing that happens in the middle, you want to pay extra attention to. God's calling our attention to this intimate, beautiful interaction between a father and a son. Dad. Yeah, son. Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God's going to provide the lamb, my son. Over the years of my interaction with this passage, I've thought that, that at this point is when Isaac starts to go, hmm, I think I might be the lamb. But now, I think a little bit differently. I think they had a really open conversation about it. God's going to provide the lamb. Maybe just sanctified imagination. But based on what next, I think what happened, I think they had a further conversation about this. I think Abraham actually told Isaac that, son, you're actually going to be the sacrifice. And the father, the God of promise, is the one who's asked me to do this. And I believe with all my heart, because he's a faithful covenant God, that he's going to raise you from the dead. And as they walk up together, I think Isaac has his opportunity to struggle in the same way that Abraham did over three days. But then Scripture tells us this crazy thing. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham's 100 years old. For any of you know, who know what dad strength is, um, like any dad can always take their son up to a certain age, right? Right, dads? Yes, up to a certain age. 
I think a hundred starts to press into that realm of no more dad strength, right? Um, and Isaac's a, Isaac's a young, strong boy. Uh, Isaac could have run. He could have overpowered his dad. I think what happened here is Isaac allowed himself to be bound so that he wouldn't run, so that he wouldn't fight, so that his faith wouldn't actually fail, but he'd come to the same conclusion that his father did. Now, th this is a piece where you, you could save this till the end, but I want you to hear and see what's happening here. This is Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the same place that centuries later Solomon is going to build the temple. Mount Moriah is the same place where centuries after that, there's another mountain there that you know the name by. It's Golgotha. This same mountain where Isaac is being bound and is about to be sacrificed is the same mountain upon which Jesus went and had his life sacrificed for ours. When you know that's happening, you see another story that's layered on top of what's taking place here. Now hear this part again. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it upon his son. Isaac is carrying the wood, the instrument of his death, up the hill to Golgotha. Abraham takes the fire and the knife, and then Abraham says, the Lord is going to provide for himself a lamb for the sacrifice. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham builds that altar, he binds Isaac, and he puts Isaac on the altar. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. It's interesting. I've always pictured it so dramatically that Abraham raises his hand back, and I don't even know if that's, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that, I don't know if that happened. I don't know if that needed to happen. I think as soon as Isaac took that knife in his hand and was ready to sacrifice his son, the Lord calls out to him. The angel of the Lord calls from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham says, here am I, Lord. He says, don't lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your only son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes the second time. Remember, the first time he lifts up his eyes, he sees the place where the sacrifice is going to happen. Now he lifts up his eyes and he sees the sacrifice. And it's a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and rams get huge. I don't know if you've seen rams. They're massive. They can get up to 300 pounds, and he's caught in this copse of trees. His horns are entangled in there, and Abraham knows that's the sacrifice. So scripture says that Abraham called that name of the name of that place, the Lord will future provide. And it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided, and it one day will be provided. Amen? Amen. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, in the same way that I will not withhold my son, my only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice and you have not withheld your only son. Paul calls Abraham the father of all believers. All believers will be faced with this movement that we're talking about of the disposition of the heart. The why that must and has to move to who. The reality is when we ask why, it's not wrong. It's not a wrong question. It's where our hearts immediately and usually naturally go. 
But there are so often times where we are not ever going to get an answer to why. It, it will end up revealing the depth of our own finitude and not God's faithlessness. The fact that we don't get answers to why doesn't mean that God is faithless. It just means that we truly are finite and can't always understand. But we ask why. We want to understand. Like I think Abraham did. Like Isaac did. But that transition to the who is the essential movement that our hearts as believers and followers of Jesus need to make. Who do we trust in and is he trustworthy? And then we look at the one who this whole story is really about. It's absolutely 100% about Abraham and 100% about Isaac and 100% about Jesus Christ. It's about the trustworthy one, the one who is truly the innocent lamb of God who was provided to pay the price for the sins of his people. The innocent one who carried his own cross to Golgotha and was nailed there in our place so that we might be forgiven and might be restored to relationship with God. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant takes place there with that lamb that was slain, the lamb who would one day be provided that we might be restored to relationship with the Father that we might know the same covenant God that Abraham knew. And then Jesus, in the supreme act of love on the cross, is followed by the supreme act of power at the resurrection, where we, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, actually have the power of the resurrection within us. And that power allows us to actually hope. That power allows us to hope and to go from why to who and say, who is the trustworthy one, the one that I can believe? And here's the thing, the not so secret part about being a follower of Jesus is that at some point, you just have to trust him. And when you do, he proves himself faithful over and over and over. So those two friends that I told you about, the first one was over 30 years ago, yeah, 51. No, just right at, right at 30 years ago. And he, the last time I saw him, he wasn't able to make that heart movement from why to who. He sat in the why and it wrecked him. He was devastated and he was hopeless. And it was absolutely heart-wrenching to watch. Heart-wrenching to live alongside. I don't know where he is now. I, I pray to God that God's grace and mercy gripped his heart and he was able to place his trust in Jesus. My other friend, he asked why for a while. And not long after, it became a who. Is God still good? Is God still faithful? Is God still trustworthy? He is because I know my Savior. I know my covenant God. And I'm never going to get a why to this. But I trust him. And I will tell you, he has a depth of peace that could come from no other place. His life has not been easy. He still weeps on the regular. 
but he has peace that can only come from the risen Christ, hope that can only come from our covenant God. I think this is what Peter was talking about when he talks about being born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, indwelt, made alive, so that when we encounter those things in life that we cannot for the life of us figure out and that no one else can give us any kind of truth or platitude, we come back to who we believe in and who we trust in, our faithful covenant God, and we can actually hope. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, will you please be kind to us and gracious to us and help us to believe the truth that you set before us. Will you make us people of trust and hope? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.